Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are taking one of our many ideas from our faithful listeners. We asked for some show suggestions, and boy, you gave them. So we are working through these. Um, This one is from uh, a listener that asked for some quote-unquote digestible free jazz. Or I believe they said more sane free jazz. The truth is, is that all of these artists have something to say, and they are all quite sane. So, I may have added the word digestible. Because apparently, there are some things that you can listen to for, you know, 20 minutes. Like Peter Brotzman's Machine Gun, which literally just has him at the bottom end of a saxophone sounding just like a machine gun. And there's some merit to that. There's some anger there. But... That's not necessarily the most digestible free jazz. So what we're going to do here is we are going to offer up, serve up, if you will, 21 of the uh, greatest digestible free jazz tracks that we can find that are by quote-unquote free jazz artists or artists that are associated with the genre or subgenre of free jazz under the umbrella of jazz improvisation so some of these you may recognize the artist some of these you may not some of these are more classics some of these are a little bit more obscure all in all it's all good so hopefully this whets everybody's appetite for some free jazz in a very digestible way (laughs) so it's just like a good scotch it's smooth going down so Thank you for listening, and now let's get to some great music.
man, yeah. So that is a tune called Cohesion by the great pianist Matthew Shipp. And Gerald Cleaver was killing the drums. Con Jamal on the vibraphone. Flam on synths and programming. And the one and only William Parker laying down that awesome, badass bass groove. And this comes from a 2003 album by Matthew Shipp called Equilibrium. It's part of the Blue series on the Thirsty Ear record label. Great stuff, totally groovy. And if that doesn't get your booty moving, I don't know what will. And yes, he is kind of known as a free jazz artist, but there are some great, great musical gems out there. Before that, we heard from the one... The only interplanetary traveler, Sun Ra. And we heard A Call for All Demons, recorded in 1956. That's right. So when Elvis was doing like all shook up and all that shit, here's what Sun Ra was doing. He was laying down an awesome groove like... A Call for All Demons from the album Angels and Demons at Play by Sun Ra and his Myth Science Orchestra. On that particular track, of course, we heard um, Sun Ra on the Wurlitzer Electric Piano and on the piano, Art Hoyle on the trumpet, the great Julian Priester on trombone, Pat Patrick on Barry Sachs, uh, John Gilmore on the tenor sax, Charles Davis on Barry Sachs, Wilburn Green on the electric bass, Robert Barry on the drums, and Jim Herndon on the timpani. So, a nice cast of like hard bop grooves going on there, and nice punchy piano accompaniment by the great Sun Ra. <clears throat> and then we opened up the whole set with Attica Blues by the great Archie Shep, who just celebrated a birthday this week. I believe he was 85, 83, something like that, and still going strong, man. Jazz Times has a great interview with Archie Shep about him and uh, meeting Miles Davis. <laughs> in a very wild, wild west kind of scenario. Um, yeah, where he says basically, uh, can I sit in with you? And then Tony Williams like, yeah, man, come on, sit in, sit in. He's like, I don't know, man. You know, Miles is Miles. <clears throat> and um, sure enough, you know, Miles is talking to a group of people. And uh, this is a condensed version of the story, by the way. Miles is talking to a bunch of people. He's like, uh, Mr. Davis, can I can I sit in? He, Miles just looked at him and said, fuck you. <laughs> that only Miles could do, right? And so being angry that he addressed him that way, he said, fuck you, motherfucker. So he's like, you want to settle this like a man? Get out your horn. We'll settle this on a bandstand. And just like the, you know, kind of moment of the good, the bad, the ugly, Miles like, get you on that motherfucker, you know, <laughs> so, and then they played like, this is when they were first 
with the 60s kind of group. So there was like Wayne and Herbie and Tony and Ron Carter and Miles. And they were still playing like standards at that point in time. So they were still playing like these burning versions of four and, you know, so what and walking. And then they also had like these versions like Stella by Starlight and My Funny Valentine and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So anyway, so he calls like a number. I forgot what the number was. You can go back and read the story. And Archie Shep says, man, I was just so angry. I had ideas, but I had so much adrenaline because I was just so angry. So I played angry, you know, and he goes, and I was, I was, I was kind of scared, you know, because you're intimidated. Here's this guy who is a legend and his band. And so sure enough, he said, I played, I played my ass off and Miles just, you know, he played. And then the next tune was called. And then Miles just kind of waved his horn, went off the stage. Herbie eventually went off the stage right after Miles. And it was just, and Wayne left with him too. So it was just Archie Shep, Tony Williams, and Ron Carter. And then eventually Herbie came back, but Miles never did. So Archie thinks that maybe he won the duel that night. I'm not really sure. But the point is, is that it's worth noting Archie says that they didn't really play standards after that. So could that have been the the catalyst, the event that basically started the 60s second great quintet of playing more compositions by Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams and Ron Carter? Perhaps. Perhaps we can thank Archie Shep for that. Because think about all those great tunes that we have due to that. Tunes like Footprints. Tunes like Dolores and Orbits. And The Sorcerer. And Prince of Darkness. And Pee Wee. Nefertiti. Riot. All those really, really cool tunes, you know? ESP. Man, I'm just going through them in my head here, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. So it, I I've been listening to jazz for many decades now, and this is the first I've heard of it. So I thought it was pretty cool. Wanted to share it with you. And anyway, back to the set. So we just finished listening to. We started off the set with Attica Blues by the great Archie Shep <coughs> from his album Attica Blues, which. The CD was reissued in 2003, but it was recorded in January of 1972. And on that track, let's see, Archie Shep's on tenor saxophone, Henry Hull is on the lead vocal, Joshi Armistead and Albertine Robinson was on the backup vocals, Roy Burroughs, Michael Ridley, and Charles McGee. We're on trumpets. Clifford Thornton was on cornet. Charles Stevens, Kyan Zawadi, and Charles Greenlee were on trombones. Hakeem Jami, Roland Alex. Oh, I'm sorry. Hakeem Jami was on the euphonium. Marion Brown and Clarence White on alto saxophones. Billy Robinson and Roland Alexander on the tenor sax. James Ware on the barry sax. Leroy Jenkins, John Blake, and. Like Lakshina Rayana Shankar was on violins. 
Ronald Lipscomb and Kalo Scott were on the cello. Walter Davis Jr. on the electric piano. Cornell Dupree on the guitar. Gerald Jimmett and Roland Wilson on the Fender bass. Beaver Harris on the drums. Ollie Anderson, Juma Sutan, and Nini Defense were all on percussion. Solos are by Gerald Jimmett, Kayan Zawadi, Roland Alexander, and Charles Stevens. Man. What a lineup. And funky, soulful, beautiful. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, not all Archie Shep music sounds like that. But Archie Shep is definitively known for his free jazz albums and his free jazz collaborations. So, you need to know that there's other stuff like this out there by free jazz artists because that's what we're spotlighting is digestible free jazz right music that is free jazz that's a little bit more digestible or music by free jazz artists because if you avoid Archie Shep altogether you avoid some really great music like what we just heard with Attica Blues so remember you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast where you find all of your podcasts Apple Podcasts SoundCloud, Stitcher, and feel free to leave us a comment or a review. We appreciate it. Also, check out our website for all of the up-to-date information on album art and tracks from each episode. The website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast, dot WordPress dot com. And you can follow us on Twitter to find out when every new episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast drops. And you can follow us at N-D-H- jazz all right now let's get to back to some more digestible free jazz and some groovy music
the William Parker Quartet with a song called Groove. And didn't it though? Man, great shit. Love this. Love this quartet. William Parker on the bass. Hammond Drake on the drums. Lewis Barnes on the trumpet. And Rob Brown on the alto saxophone. And this is from the 2005 album Sound Unity. That's a great name for a band. I'm sorry. And I ha- I'm having a Parks and Rec moment right now. An Andy Dwyer mouse rat moment. But it's kind of like Sound Unity, cool name for a band, I call it. So, there you go. All right. Um, yeah, man. And all these compositions are by William Parker. I mean, I, I just love, 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 love this guy's writing, man. He's, he's like a living force. Tons of great stuff by William Parker. So if you like this, check out William Parker. Because, I mean, I can't say that enough. If I said that a hundred times a day, it still wouldn't be enough. Check out William Parker. This guy's got, I mean, tons of, of projects and groups. You know what I mean? From like organ groups to big bands to like full orchestras to quartets. He's played in trios. He's played with... Uh, people on John Zorn's label, the Zodic label. I mean, he's part of the AUM Fidelity group. I mean, oh my God, just, and and nothing really disappoints. And you know, that's the thing. I've heard his project of the Curtis Mayfield project. That's just incredible as well. And I've also heard the, um, the Ellington project that William Parker did. And it's man with like kid Jordan. And it's great too. So I have not been disappointed in any of William Parker's musical outputs, you know. And but my favorite, my favorite out of all of them is the William Parker Quartet, just because I love the idea that they can harmonically go anywhere because there's no chords. To pull them back. There's only alto, trumpet, bass, and drums. And we've seen this format, and we'll continue to see this format throughout even this podcast, but you've seen that format a lot, uh, specifically in the harmonically adventurous improvisers within the whole jazz idiom. So, William Parker, William Parker, William Parker, check his stuff out. And he's still living, and he's still making great music to this day yeah before that we heard one of free jazz's anthems if you will um we heard the great albert eiler on the tennis saxophone um we heard ghosts the first variation and that featured a trio albert eiler on the tennis saxophone the great gary peacock yes that gary peacock on the bass the same one that plays with keith jarrett that's the same one. Yeah, he was playing with Albert Eiler. Wasn't he the same bass player on Bill Evans' Trio 64? Yep, same one. But guess what? Here he is playing with Albert Eiler. So, gives you a new perspective on Gary Peacock now, doesn't it? Yeah. Gary's a cool, hip cat, man. And then on the drums, the great Sonny Murray. Talk about one of the coolest voices in all of jazz. I mean, it's right up there with Miles, and it's right up there with Joe Lovano. You know what I mean? In fact, Joe Lovano would be like, how cool 
is an album title than Spiritual Unity, man. Spiritual Unity. Albert Eiler just lets the notes flow from his horn. I mean, that's the that's the Joe Lovano, you know, uh, album seal of approval. If he were to be, you know, <laughs> a music critic, don't get me wrong. I'm here in Cleveland. I love Joe Lovano. He's Cleveland's hometown boy, and I've met him and I've talked to him, and he's a real hip cat. I love Joe, and he's making some great videos during this uh, <laughs> this this pandemic time that we're in. So. Nothing but blessings to you, Joe. Nothing but good vibe. Um, but yeah, Sonny Murray, besides having one of the coolest voices in jazz, he is a slamming drummer. And this was uh, a tune from the album Spiritual Unity, which was recorded in July of 1964. And the thing to keep in mind about this, and especially about a lot of Albert Eiler's music, it gets a bad rip. But... The thing about it is that it, it's almost like kids' songs, you know, like Thelonious Monk even recorded on one of his albums, like the little uh, kids' songs, like This Old Man, you know what I mean? And these could be great vehicles for improvisation. You don't have to have something that's got, you know, 128 chord changes with a ruptured 125th chord, and, you know, and everybody's playing nothing but tritones over it, right? So... You can have these kind of sing-songy, kid-like songs. And to me, that's what a lot of Albert Eiler's songs sound like. That's not to d discredit him as a composer. He's got some really beautiful tunes out there as well. But it's almost as if, you know, it's like a childlike innocence that's exploring all this great music. So there you go. Uh, that's the way I come at Albert Eiler's music. And yeah, there are some very um, loud, raucous squeaks, scrunches, and squawks. And there are a myriad of jazz artists that have taken that and ran with it. You know, a.k.a. Charles Gale with the Repent album. I mean, it's that's heavy stuff. Like I said before, Peter Brotzman with the Machine Gun thing. That's heavy stuff, too, and requires very, very active... And in intensive listening, you have to be focused and, and not... This is not music you put on in the background, right? Right. But Albert Eiler is one of the giants of the free jazz genre. And I think that, you know, it needs to be respected. And Ghosts, to me, is one of those tunes that's very sing-songy. And I think it's digestible enough. I think it passes the, the test. So there you go. And then we started off the set with a very, very, very groovy trio called The Fully Celebrated. That's the name of the trio, The Fully Celebrated. And that's Jim Hobbs on the alto sax, Timo Shenko on the bass, and Django Carranza on the drums. And we heard the tune Enemy of Both Sides. And it's just, to me, there's some free elements going on with these guys uh, all throughout the album. By the way, the album is called Drunk on the Blood of the Holy Ones. Cannot make that shit up. It's for real, y'all. Drunk on the Blood of the Holy Ones by The Fully Celebrated. 
and I mean, there's only eight tracks, but every one of them grooves in their own special way, and man, it's it's so it's so good, and it's more of a modern take on kind of like a, a free jazz mentality, and you know, certain times groove is what's the underpinning for a lot more adventurous harmony so an exploration as i said before which is really really cool so hopefully you're digging this um i'm kind of feel the need to explain a couple of these tracks as i you know have put them in the mix but hopefully you're digging them and if if you're not well <laughs> there's some great stuff to come so don't worry either way we do appreciate you listening you are listening to the dr jazz podcast <laughs>
dominated control. Peace is the will of the people and the will of the land. With peace, we can move ahead together. We want you to join us this evening in this universal prayer, this universal prayer for peace for every man. All you got to do is clap your hands. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three.
please, won't you hear our plea and ring your bells of peace? Let nothing never cease. Ooh, la 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 la. So that is the great Pharaoh Sanders. And that track was called Humala, Humala, Humala. And it comes from his 1969 album, Jewels of Thought. And Pharaoh is on the tenor saxophone, the contrabass clarinet, the reed flute, the African thumb piano the orchestral chimes, and percussion. The great Lonnie Liston-Smith is on piano, African flute, African thumb piano, and percussion. Cecil McBee is on the bass and percussion. Idris Muhammad is on drums and percussion. And Snap Crackle himself, Roy Haynes, is on the drums. And... On the vocals, as well as some added percussion, is Leon Thomas. So, just some great stuff. Um, yeah, and Lonnie Liston-Smith and Pharaoh Sanders wrote um, the two tracks that are this album. This album, Jewels of Thought, only has two tracks. Uh, Homala, Homala, Homala as well as Sun in Aquarius, which is a 27-minute masterpiece, but it is a lot more tinged with free jazz squeals, squawks, etc. Don't forget, Pharaoh Saunders, Sanders, Saunders, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I think uh, Gil Scott Heron pronounces it Pharaoh Saunders. So, um, but Pharaoh... Um, is part of this kind of everybody in this set that we're going to be talking about, which is Pharaoh has some great melodic music out there. Uh, one of the tracks that came out in the 90s <coughs> was uh, Our Roots Began in Africa. And if that doesn't make your body move, man, check your pulse, right? 
check out that track. But I mean, at the same time, he's got great tracks. Like I think he covered uh, The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. And I was like, what? So, I mean, he's very, he, he's kind of, this is a problem. It really is. This is a problem with putting uh, great artists and trying to pigeonhole them into one kind of subset of a genre. You know, this is not rock and roll per se, right? Like the Ramones, okay, yeah, they were great punk rockers. But they never did, like, you know, a ballad album. You know what I'm saying? So, um,. That's why I like The Clash a whole lot better. They were very versatile. But anyway, that's a different discussion for a totally different day. Um, but Pharaoh Sanders, he, he, he's, he, he played with Coltrane, man. And yeah, it was later day Coltrane, but still. I mean, he was there. He walked with the master. He played on, on the, um, the Seattle concert. And I mean, he, he was right there at the foot of John Coltrane and yeah. And and, which is a great segue into everything we're going to be talking about. And and that we just heard from in this set previous to that track by Pharaoh Sanders, we heard a tune called Hazor H A Z O R. And it's by the Masada quartet. Now who is the Masada quartet? Well, that's Joey Baron laying down them sick drum beats. Greg Cohen on the bass, the great Dave Douglas on the trumpet, and none other than John Zorn on alto saxophone. Now, notice this is just like the William Parker Quartet, right? Right. So there's bass, drums, trumpet, and alto. Hmm. I wonder if we'll ever see that again. Chances are we will. Wink, wink. But the interesting part about this is that if you like the sound of that middle track, Hazor, don't worry. There are 10 studio volumes of the Masada Quartet, plus I think six live discs of the Masada Quartet, plus there's the unreleased takes from the studio called Sanhedrin. Tell you what, it's amazing music. It's, it, it's breathtaking. And there are three Masada books, okay? Um... Uh, of written music that Zorn wrote. And that's the incredible part, is that he wrote 600-plus original compositions for the Masada project. But that's not all he does. He's also got bands like Naked City and Painkiller and 20th Century Classical Music and then gorgeous music, music for films. On top of many, many, many other side projects, file card pieces, improvisatory game pieces like Shu Fang, and uh, the man owns his own record label, Zodic Records, and Z- John Zorn has been pigeonholed, um, or has been tried to, when he first came on the scene, pigeonholed as a free jazz artist. But the truth of the matter is, is that Zorn is anything but one style, one type of anything. He's a film composer. He's a classical composer. He's a a jazz saxophone player. He's a rock musician, and he's an enfant terrible. (laughs) They call him a maverick, and he really is, and I highly, highly encourage any of you who are kind of, you know, interested in John Zorn to 
check out all of his music. If you don't like one thing, that's okay. Just keep moving on. And then we started off the set with somebody who is pigeonholed as a free jazz artist as well, and that's Eric Dolphy. Eric Dolphy is a great alto sax flute and bass clarinetist, and we heard the track Straight Up and Down from his Blue Note classic Out to Lunch from February 25th, 1964. And that included Freddie Hubbard on the trumpet, Eric Dolphy on alto sax flute and bass clarinet, Bobby Hutcherson on the vibes, Richard Davis on the bass, and Tony Williams on the drums. Now, quick note about Eric Dolphy is that a lot of people try to put him in the free jazz camp. And I could see where they would say that because there are some angular melodies and chords, but there is a lot of logic to Eric Dolphy as well. This is the same guy that played with John Coltrane. This is the same guy that played with Mingus for years. This is the same guy that was also in, I think, uh, a Latin ensemble that did tunes like Caribe. So, and he also recorded with Oliver Nelson and Bill Evans on um, Blues and the Abstract Truth. So, even though he has some angularity to his intervals and to some of his chords and his compositions, that doesn't make him necessarily a free jazz artist because these are not random notes that he's hitting. They theoretically work, although they are in weird ranges from time to time. So keep that in mind, that even if something sounds like something that is free and angular, it necessarily isn't. It could just be a different take or perspective on something that is highly logical. And that's your moment of wisdom for the day. So, again, remember you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find all of your other podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. So, please make sure you follow us and feel free to leave a nice review or a message if you've got an idea or something that you like or dislike. It's okay. We accept any and all feedback. Also, don't forget to check out the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com, so you don't have to write down each one of these tracks and artists. It's all right there for you, so you can go out and support your local record store and these artists, because many of them are still alive and kicking and making great music. So help them support them so they can continue to make great music for us to share. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NDHJazz so you are up to date whenever the newest episode of the Dr. Jazz podcast drops. Now, let's get back to some more music.
All right, so that is the Ken Vandermark 5. And that track is called Other Cuts for Curtis Mayfield. And the Ken Vandermark 5 are Jeb Bishop on the trombone, Tim Daisy on the drums, Kent Kessler on the bass, Dave Rampus on the saxophones, and Ken Vandermark on saxophones and a bunch of other reeds. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, it's just killing stuff, man. Uh, comes from their album Airports for Light from 2002. So that groove, as infectious as it is, is 18 years ago. And Ken Vandermark has done some great things since. It's I'm just picking one of my favorite cuts, and there's a bunch of tracks that are my favorites by the Ken Vandermark group. And he's got a lot of different groups, so keep listening. It's kind of like one of those Zorn things, you know. Um, if you don't really dig one thing, just keep on going. There's He's got a bunch of projects. And in fact, uh, this is a great chance for me to tell you about uh, a great documentary on Ken Vandermark and just what it takes to be a... Um, a professional musician nowadays and the fact that you have to really you know work at booking your own gigs especially if you're associated with free jazz you know more modern free jazz on top of that um, there's a documentary on Ken Vandermark and it's simply called musician and it's killer man it talks about just the the labors of being married, having a home mortgage payment, you know. I think he lives in Chicago. He's trying to book gigs in, you know, in Sweden and Europe and Norway and all these places. And he's also trying to, like, book gigs at the Green Mill in Chicago. And he's trying to write in his basement. And he's trying to practice and, you know, arrange and all this stuff and make phone calls, you know. Yeah, it and it documents a lot of that. And it documents some of his time on tour as well. Um and just how patient his wife is as well. So um, it's definitely worth a, a view if you're into checking out what more musicians are doing. Uh, Ken Vandermark is one of the ones who is on the straight and narrow, man. He is constantly at it, and he's constantly writing and recording. And, you know, hats off to him because I, I, I really dig a lot of the Ken Vandermark stuff. So, yeah, we heard other cuts by the Ken Vandermark Five. Before that, we heard Once Upon a Time, a children's tale. And <clears throat> this is by one of um, the saxophonists, you know, generally associated with free jazz acts and things like that, um, Marion Brown. He is a fantastic alto player. Um, he has done some standards in his recording career, um, and they're worth listening to, but he is primarily associated as a free jazz musician although there are some things that are just you should just check him out you know what I mean so the second tune that's what I'm saying we heard his track Miriam Brown's track once upon a time a children's tale and this comes from <coughs> the album Geechee Recollections and um I've got this on a CD that's combined the two for one impulse you know, two albums on one CD thing, and it's uh, paired with Sweet Earth Flying. That's a great album, too. It's got Paul Blay and Muhal Richard Abrams on the pianos and electric pianos. But anyway, back to Geechee Recollections. So we, we heard Marion Brown on the alto saxophone, 
Wadada Leo Smith on the trumpet. Bill Mason, James Jefferson, Steve McCall laying down the drums. A. Cobena Adenzia, William Malone, and Juma Santos. So, um, yeah, I mean, Marion Brown, he also has a great Impulse album called Three for Shep, in which he's playing uh, tunes that were uh, inspired by Archie Shep. And it's got a cover of the two of them, like, you know, standing side by side at this table. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, man. It's just like, I, I can only lead you to the water. I can't make you drink it, right? So, there you go. But Marianne Brown is definitely somebody to check out. And then we opened up the set with one of my, one of my favorite um, duos. It's the Prince Lachey and Sonny Simmons Quintet. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's Gene Stone on the drums, Mark Proctor on the bass, Gary Peacock again. The same Gary Peacock that we heard before with Albert Eiler? Yes, the same Gary Peacock that we heard before with Albert Eiler. And then the same Gary Peacock that plays with Keith Jarrett's trio? It is the same Gary Peacock that plays with Keith Jarrett's trio. Is that the same Gary Peacock that played with Bill Evans on Trio 64? Why, yes, it is the same Gary Peacock that played with Bill Evans on Trio 64. So... Gary Peacock, man. I, I I don't know if you realize just what an important figure he was in music, um, but he was all over these, you know, these early free jazz things. So Gene Stone on drums, Mark Proctor on bass, Gary Peacock on bass. So if you're keeping track, that's one drum, two basses, and then we have Sonny Simmons on the alto sax and Prince Lachey on the flute. So, essentially, we have that same kind of format that we heard with the William Parker Quartet in that it was alto sax, trumpet, bass, drums, no chordal instruments. And then we also heard the Masada Quintet with John Zorn on alto, Dave Douglas on trumpet, Greg Cohen on the bass, Joey Barron on drums, no chordal instrument. And now we've got... Two basses, a drum, a flute, and an alto sax. No chordal instrument. Which means that on the track that we started off the whole set with, Juanita, what we got was not necessarily what most people associate with free jazz, which is why we're doing this episode. People associate free jazz with squawks and all this like jagged, there's like nebulous rhythm, there's no pulse, there's no feel, it's just a bunch of squeaks and squawks and then everybody's like, oh man, it's such high art. No! 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 So, what we just heard throughout the whole set was free jazz, but you had a groovy uh, tune with the Vandermark Five. That's more modern free jazz. You had a very lyrical um, free jazz tune in Once Upon a Time with Marion Brown. And then, like I'm talking about right here, 1962, we heard Juanita, which is this lovely, like, little uh, kind of Latin tune. And just because there's no chords, it just means that they don't have to squeak and squawk. It means that they have the harmonic freedom, hence free jazz to do what they'd like so 
there are some great free jazz examples out there, and I'm hoping that I lead all of y'all to some new listeners, you know, into this this great foray of jazz under the entire umbrella of jazz, and hopefully just hip y'all to some great cats that are playing some great stuff. You know, it doesn't have to be all squeaks and squawks. If you've had a bad day, that's a great kind of album to put on. You know, Charles Gale's Repent or Peter Brotzman's Machine Gun, which I've mentioned tons of times in this podcast alone. That's great for if you're just really pissed off on a bad day. But that being said, don't give all free jazz a bad rep. I mean, here you go. This is some great melodic content as well. So, anyway, Juanita by Prince Lachey and the Sonny Simmons Quintet is on the album The Cry. So you'd probably look at this album and go, The Cry, oh, that's probably more of that, you know, wailing free jazz stuff. But no, no, it's quite nice. So, all right. Thank you for listening. A um, couple of announcements. Remember, you can subscribe to the Dr. Jazz Podcast on wherever you find your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and we would love to hear some feedback from you, good or bad. It's okay. We accept all feedback. We don't discriminate. And check out the website so that way you can see and you don't have to try to write down all these artists and titles and albums, and etc. That way you know exactly through the album art and the tracks what you're listening to on this podcast is exactly what you'll get. Whenever you go and you are supporting your local record store or you're ordering this stuff, etc. Okay. Um, and that website is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And you can also find find us and follow us on Twitter so you know when each new episode drops. And that a uh, handle that you can follow us at is at ndhjazz. All right. Now, let's get back to some more music. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
your fanny's like two sperm wells floating down the sand, yeah. Your voice is like a long fork that's music to your brain. Art Ensemble of Chicago with Fontella Bass on vocals and on piano. Of course, the Art Ensemble of Chicago is Famudu Don Moyer on the drums, Malachi Favors on the bass and percussion, Lester Bowie on the trumpet and percussion, Joseph Jarman on saxophones and percussion, and the great Roscoe Mitchell on saxophones and percussion. Everybody plays percussion. And the track that we just heard right there was the groovy theme de yo-yo from their 1970 album, Les Stances à Sophie. That's right. That groovy track came out at the exact same time that Miles Davis's Bitches Brew came out. And the interesting thing about it is that you have this groove, you have these vocals, and then you have just like almost like a Jackson Pollock painting. You just have these little moments where you flash to like free jazz noise. And it's just like, hey, go crazy for like these couple of seconds or these couple of bars and then it's back to the groove and it happens intermittently and I think this is one of the the prime examples of what I call digestible free jazz because it's like okay yeah I can get it I, I can dig that song I mean yeah that's kind of co- that's a co- kind of cool effect that they you know went crazy for a moment there and then it's right back to the groove so Whenever I have any friends that tell me, they're like, well, I'm thinking about trying to get into free jazz. This is one of the very first things I play for them. I'm like, can you, can you dig this? And they're like, yeah. So this is the gateway track, you know, probably should have opened up with this one, but hindsight's 2020, right? So, um, either way, hopefully you dig, you dig that track and a bunch of these others. So, uh, before that we heard from one of the architects of quote-unquote free jazz. And that is none other than the great Cecil Taylor. We heard him 
along with Buell Neidlinger, the bassist who extraordinaire who plays who is well known in classical bass circles and in jazz bass circles, as well as Dennis Charles slamming some drums. We heard the track Rick Kick Shaw. And that comes as groovy as that was. And once again, there was a groove kind of behind that whole piano thing kind of going crazy. And it might surprise you to know that that A was on Blue Note Records. But B, it comes from an album called Jazz Advance from 1956. That's right. Cecil Taylor was doing tracks like what we just heard in the middle of that set before Miles was recording Kind of Blue, before John Coltrane was recording Giant Steps, before a lot of that stuff, before Brubeck was really, you know, digging grooves in 5-4 time, or 9-8 time. So Cecil was truly ahead of the curve, and that is why he is so highly regarded it's not that people have deciphered some of the things that he's done. I mean, he definitely has his own language. And there is some logic to what he does. But it's just because he was at the forefront of this movement from way long ago. So, also, there's another great documentary um, that you might be able to find on YouTube or Vimeo. One of those platforms. Uh, on Cecil Taylor. And it's called Cecil Taylor, All the Notes. And he is just so candid in the thing. Because, <laughs> because, and he has a very identifiable voice. I mean, his voice is like one of those that you just know when you hear it. Because it's just so dramatic. He talks about how my father loved three artists. Louis Armstrong... And then he, what he went into some... I forgot who the other one was. And, he <laughs> and he's like, Bing Crosby. <laughs> and he said something like, I had a gig. I had a weekly gig and piano at this club. And if I never play Stardust again for the rest of my life, it'll be too soon. <laughs> God. So, even if you don't get to watch the whole documentary, Cecil Taylor, All the Notes, it's worth it just to YouTube some Cecil Taylor interviews because this guy, man, to play so frenetically the way he does, you just have to, you can't help but love this guy, you know, and there's these great scenes where he's like smoking a cigarette and he's like dancing in his apartment as he's about to go out for the night to go hear, um, I think it was Mal Waldron at the time was performing at the Blue Note in New York and he was just like getting ready and he was dancing and he had like music blaring and almost sounded like Anita O'Day in the back because uh, I remember it's like, what is Cecil listening to? You know, that sounds like Anita O'Day. It could have been June Christie. I don't know. But that's beside the point. He is a character. And we are missing a lot more of these quote-unquote characters and the music. So it's it would behoove all of us to go watch, listen, and appreciate these characters like 
the great Cecil Taylor. So, yeah. And then we opened up the set with uh, a track called Quasar. And Quasar is a tune by a band that is led by somebody that you probably wouldn't ever imagine would be in this particular podcast kind of episode. And that's the great Herbie Hancock. We heard from his Mwandishi band. And who is in the Mwandishi band? Well, um, let's see. At the close of 1970, um, Let's see. With the exception of the bassist and trombonist Julian Priester, the personnel was made up of younger, less familiar figures, and everyone in the band had taken a Swahili name. Herbie Hancock was Mwandishi. The horn players were Maganga, Eddie Henderson, Pipo Matoto, Julian Priester, and Mawile, Benny Maupin. And the rhythm section was completed by Michizaji, Buster Williams, and Jabali, Billy Hart. So that is who is in the Mwandishi band. And um, like I said, we heard the tune Quasar, which was actually written by the great Benny Maupin. Um, A note on Quasar is the chords from acoustic piano trigger Quasar, the first of two Maupin compositions that complete the Crossings session, which is the album that this came from. Crossings, which is this weird picture on the front. It's almost like all of them have, you know, lived to be like 700 years old, and they're all in this boat. So it's worth checking out the website just to see that album art. Um, Built around a simple unison theme and a 7-4 time signature, the piece takes on a fluid otherworldly coloration with Gleason's synthesizer washes and the composer's peripatetic (laughs) alto flute. Man, liner notes, am I right? Henderson follows with one of his active probing episodes as a cowbell reinforces the beat. The ending is effectively ominous. Lost sounds in uncharted space. Danger, Will Robinson. All right. So, yeah, I mean, the way I would sum it up is that it just sounds very sci-fi. And I think that that was really cool at the time. And this is a different shade of free jazz, but it's still very free in that it is nebulous. But it's just, I think the right word would be atmospheric. And I think a lot of the Mwandishi band uh, is less marked by squeaks and squawks. And there is still freedom from the harmonic limitations of just, quote unquote, playing through the changes. You know, they're not just trying to make the changes to how high the moon and this kind of music. It's much more atmospheric. And I think that the Mwandishi band definitely deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as free jazz because it is freedom of expression it's freedom from limited chord changes and yeah and it's very atmospheric i think when you get into the atmosphere that's about as free as you can get right there you go all right listen stick around we've got two more sets coming at you we do appreciate you listening and hopefully you found some tracks that you've dug so far okay 
Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
gorgeous music by Alice Coltrane. Mm. There's a tune called Taraya and Ramakrishna. Comes from the 1970, early 1970 album Ptah El Daoud by Alice Coltrane. And on that track, we heard Alice on the piano, Pharaoh Sanders on the bells, just like the shaking bells, Ben Riley on the drums, and the great Ron Carter on the bass. 50 years ago. Over 50 years ago. I mean, it was recorded in January of 1970. So, hmm. Good stuff. And, you know, that's the thing is that Alice is known for some of her more free forays and um, especially being part of the free group that was associated with John Coltrane, which is not a part. We are not including John Coltrane in this podcast because we've got something special planned for Coltrane in general. So asterisk there but some of his later groups right before he died was extremely free and included pharaoh sanders that we heard earlier and all that and um on his own with humala 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 and uh, yeah and i mean so she's associated with a lot of noise a lot of freedom you know that sort of thing what you would consider typical what most people think of typical free jazz. And um, the truth is is that if you discount all of Alice's music, then you miss out on beautiful gems like that. You know? And there are some great, great tracks uh, in her catalog, specifically the Impulse stuff. I really dig the Impulse stuff. The um, albums like that, Ptah the El Daoud, and uh, as well as Journey in Sakitananda, that's a really good album as well. Uh, Universal Consciousness, that's a good one. Yeah, anyway, lots of great stuff by Alice. Don't sleep on Alice Coltrane, okay? And no, she is not riding on John's coattails because she wrote that last tune, Taraya and Ramakrishna. So, there you go. Uh, before that, another shocking tune that you may have not thought would be in this whole podcast episode, you know, which is Digestible Free Jazz. That's what we're taking a spotlight on in this. And we heard the Tokyo Encore by Keith Jarrett on the solo piano from 1978's um, The Sun Bear Concerts. And I know that is a thick, thick, thick... Uh, amount of music to get through because it's six CDs of solo piano. And a lot of people go, nope, ain't got the time for that. <laughs> but it's my job to, you know, separate the wheat from the shaft. And let me tell you, man, a couple of things about that box set is, one, gorgeous, gorgeous music in it. I mean, it rivals the Cone concert. It really does. And if you dig cats like Brad Meldow you would love the Sunbear concerts because you can easily draw a definitive connecting the dots between it's like 
Brad Meldow must have just bathed and lived in the Sun Bear concert records because there's so much that I'm like, that sounds like Meldow. But of course, it happened earlier with Jarrett from these Sun Bear concerts. But the reason I chose the Tokyo Encore is because A, it's beautiful, but because two, I want to shed some light on Keith Jarrett, specifically his solo piano performances. It is the most high pinnacle of improvisational art to just go out on a stage in front of everybody, completely vulnerable, um, musically naked, so to speak, right? And just come up with music. Now, you may have an idea for a tune in your head or a progression or something like that, but that, that'll take like five seconds, right? It's incredible the amount of freedom you have because you're just by yourself. But it is the pinnacle of free improvisation, in my opinion. So, for whatever that's worth. To go out on a stage and just say, I'm going to play for an hour. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wing it. I'm just gonna play and I'm going to rely on my harmonic knowledge, on my creativity, I'm going to rely on my own expression to get me through this for an hour. And Jarrett didn't just do it once. If he did it just once, you're like, okay, okay, you know, eh, how much of that was really made up on the spot? But the point is, is that he went out and he did it again and again and again and again and again. He did it with all of these Sun Bear concerts in 76, 78. And he did it with a Cone concert that became like, I want to say it's like the world's best-selling solo piano record. Yeah. And he, he... he did it at Carnegie Hall on the ECM Carnegie Hall album. Um, he did it on the Radiance album. He's done it on the Bremen and Lausanne, um, like two CD set, three record album set. You know what I mean? He just goes out, and some of it's pointillistic. Some of it's very much in that vein of Cecil Taylor, but some of it's very beautiful, like what we just heard. And that's the thing is that these are the encores. It was an eight-minute encore after doing an entire concert of completely improvised material. And when I say improvised material, I'm not saying like, oh, he's playing changes on How High the Moon and he's just calling it imp- No. Use him ears. That's not what he's doing. He is literally going out and making spontaneous composition. And yeah, he'll noodle on an idea for a while... And he'll develop it, and then he'll go in a completely different direction. So to me, this is the pinnacle of improvisation. This is the height of it. And is Keith Jarrett an asshole? You bet he is. Because he is known to like shut down concerts because he saw one flash from a camera. Is he an asshole? Yes. No doubt about it. No questioning it. But he deserves to be. And I rarely say that for a lot of people. But he is at the cerebrality of the pinnacle of improvisation. So that's why I'm including him in the free jazz category is because he is total, 
he has total freedom of expression. Which, I don't know, That's it, it's a lot in my book. So, I know that Keith Jarrett is a big dividing um, topic, but nonetheless, I, I, I really dig his music. And I would, for the record, I would really hope that one day Brad Meldow goes out and does um, some concerts like that where he just goes out and just improvises. Much like the way that Jarrett does. I think that would be incredible. Anyway, I digress. We started off the set with the great Don Cherry. And if you dig that, what you heard at the very beginning of the set, which we heard the track, There is the Bomb, um, then you need to go back and check out my full spotlight on the music of Don Cherry because it's some amazing music out there. Don Cherry is a fantastic trumpeter and cornet player uh, that is known to have been part of the Ornette Coleman Quartet and he has done lots of great uh, fusions of world music Um, yeah he's played with Charlie Hayden you know on on his own and in the Ornette Coleman Quartet he's played with uh, Dewey Redman he's played with Gato Barbieri Uh, he's played with John Coltrane and in this outing from the album Where is Brooklyn uh, on Blue Note Records from 1966, we heard There Is the Bomb, and b- backing him up is Ed Blackwell on the drums, Henry Grimes on the bass, and the great Pharaoh Sanders again on the tenor saxophone and piccolo flute. Hey, yeah. And, of course, Don Cherry is on the cornet. So, man, we are getting a load of Pharaoh, aren't we? got Pharaoh Sanders with Don Cherry. We got Pharaoh Sanders with Alice Coltrane. We got Pharaoh Sanders with uh, his own track at the beginning of this podcast. I'm telling you, Pharaoh Sanders, man, he's still killing it. He's still alive. So go out and by all means support some Pharaoh Sanders. Buy some Pharaoh Sanders records, you know? Yeah. And if you need to know what to get or what album art so you make sure you get the right thing, we got you covered on that. All you got to do is go check out our website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And you can also find the Dr. Jazz Podcast and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And you can also find us on Twitter to stay up to date on when the next episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast drops. And that handle that you can follow us is at NDH Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We got one more set. Don't go anywhere. Great music coming up.
right. Great, great stuff in that set. So we started off the set with a tune called Untitled Tango. And it comes from one of my favorite free jazz groups, Air. Not to be confused with the French band that had like, you know, the Moon Safari album. That's a whole nother thing. This is from the 1970s. This is a 1975 album called, and a group called Air. And it's a trio uh, that consists of Steve McCall on the drums, Fred Hopkins on the bass, and the great Henry Threadgill on reeds. And we heard him on the tenor saxophone on that untitled tango. And man, Air is just one of my favorite groups, period. So uh, <clears throat> definitely check out some Henry Threadgill if you dug that first track and uh, some Air. I guarantee you there will be some surprises with that. Um, after that, we heard uh, all these are really some of my top faves. That's why they were kind of in Save for the Last Set. Uh, the metal track we heard there was by Ronald Shannon Jackson and the Decoding Society from their 1983 album, Barbecue Dog. And this is by, the far, by far the award for the coolest title for a song. We heard, When Cherry Trees Bloom in Winter You Can Smell Last Summer. Yeah, I'll say it one more time. When cherry trees bloom in winter, you can smell last summer. What a great title, right? And it's got this driving rhythm and this, this like creepiness to it. It's like it's pre-Radiohead is what it sounds like to me, but it's free jazz. And, you know, a little note about Ronald Shannon Jackson. This guy... Um, well, let me first tell you who all is in the Decoding Society, because that's important, too. Of course, Ronald Shannon Jackson is on drums and flute. Uh, Henry Scott is on trumpet and flugelhorn. Zane Massey is on tenor sax, alto sax, soprano sax. Vernon Reed is on guitar and synth guitar and banjo. And Melvin Gibbs is on electric bass. And the Reverend Bruce Johnson is on fretless electric bass. And, uh, yeah, great stuff. Now, the thing about Ronald Shannon Jackson is that him and the bassist Cerrone <clears throat> actually share this very cool coveted title in that they have played with three of the major architects of free jazz. So both Cerrone and Ronald Shannon Jackson have played with Albert Eiler, Cecil Taylor, and Ornette Coleman. So Ronald Shannon Jackson was at Slug Saloon, that recording with Albert Eiler, he played with Cecil Taylor on the Cecil Taylor Unit album, Three Phases album, Live at the Black Forest, and One Too Many Salty Swift and Not Goodbye albums. And he was part of Ornette Coleman's free funk band, Primetime. And if you haven't checked out Primetime, you should definitely check out Primetime. Great stuff. And yeah, it, it kind of led to the same thing, like him doing this whole Decoding Society, and all the Decoding Society albums are fantastic. So, check out Ronald Shannon Jackson. And then we closed with one of the biggest anthems of the free jazz movement, 1959, Ornette Coleman Quartet, with Ornette Coleman on the alto sax, Don Cherry on the cornet, Charlie Hayden on the bass, and Billy Higgins on the drums. The album, Shape of Jazz to Come. 
Ah, oh, one of the landmark Watershed albums of 1959. And we heard the very first track, Lonely Woman. Composed by Ornette Coleman. And Ornette just means the world to me. And maybe it's just the fact that out of all the, the cats that we've heard, he's the one that I've actually got to meet. My copy of The Shape of Jazz to Come is actually signed by him to me. And I got to speak with him for about, you know, 30 minutes. I got a picture with him and when he was performing down in New Orleans. Um, and he is one of the, by far, one of the greatest gentlemen I've ever met in my entire life who is a star. I mean, I asked him, I, you know, I, do you mind, you know, uh, signing this? And he's like, yeah, it's no problem, you know? And he said, uh, and his head was down the entire time. And he said, and I said, Mr. Coleman, I just, more than anything, I, I just want to thank you for all the fantastic music that you have produced over all the years. And I said, I don't think people thank you enough. So I just really, more than anything, want to say thank you. He's like, oh, that's so nice, you know. He said, do you play an instrument? And I said, yes, sir, I do. I said, I, I, I play the alto saxophone. And then his head lifted up and his eyes shone brightly. And he looked at me and he said, oh. He said, then let me reintroduce myself. My name's Ornette. And we're brothers. And, man, you could have knocked me down with a feather. You could have knocked me down with a feather. It was one of the greatest moments in my entire life. With my clothes on, as Miles Davis would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was It's truly one of the, the bright and shiny moments of my entire jazz life. Uh, I, I was on cloud nine. And, yeah... And so I, I love Ornette, and he, yeah, he's just one of the gracious, most gracious people I've ever met, and we talked, we hung out for about a half hour, and yeah, I've met a lot of, of cats, and I, I met Phil Woods, and Bud Shank, and Frank Morgan, and Lee Konitz, and you know, a lot of these cats, Lovano, and a lot of them are great, but the one with the most humility, and who is the biggest gentleman by far was probably the biggest name I've ever met, which is Ornette Coleman. So nothing but good vibes and, and love, you know what I mean? For the memory of Ornette. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. You know, I, we always appreciate all y'all listening and tuning in and clicking the likes and on like SoundCloud and stuff and writing great reviews on Apple. So just thank you. And like I said, this was a, a topic that was suggested by one of our listeners. And hopefully uh, we've delivered and given you a lot to, to think about, to chew on, to hopefully order, to dig deeper. And uh, yeah. So yeah. As we end, we do love to say that we love you madly. Check out our website drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com Our Twitter handle is at ndhjazz um, You can also subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher So, uh, until next time Ashes to ashes Dust to dust Y'all be good now Because in jazz We trust <laughs>